Guys, welcome to another episode of Triggered. I appreciate you guys tuning in as always, so please make sure to like, subscribe, download the Rumble app, share the episodes, and tell all your friends. Because as we've seen, and certainly as we've seen in the news today, uh, you never know when people who are actually going to tell you the real stuff are just going to get canceled and be out. Tonight, we've got a great episode. Two different guests. Incredible Florida Congresswoman Anna Paulina will be here to talk about her endorsement of Donald Trump. And later, Senator Steve Daines of Montana, hunting buddy of mine, actually a relationship that sort of started before politics, organically, uh, who also chairs the Senate Campaign Committee, uh, will be here to lay out the path to victory in 2024. So that's all coming up. Before we get there, though, let's dive into the news of the day. Tucker Carlson is leaving Fox News in a massive, massive network shakeup. The network said in a statement, and I quote, we thank him for his service to the network as a host and prior to that as a contributor. His last show was on Friday. This is a media earthquake, folks. He was the top host on the top network. What's next? I mean, if Fox is getting rid of their best talent for some reason, what could be going on in conservative media? Certainly in conservative mainstream media. This departure permanently changes the GOP. Tucker Carlson was one of the only people willing to go after and roast lawmakers on our side when they went off the rails. One of the few people willing to hold them to task. And one of the few people willing to talk about the issues that we all know to be true, right? Many people said, oh, he's a conspiracy theorist. Well, turns out he was just a spoiler alert months before the actual truth ever manifested itself. He's a once-in-a-generation talent who understands the Republican base like probably no one other than my father, President Donald Trump. And meanwhile, while this insanity is going on, Joe Biden is reportedly set to announce his re-election campaign this week. His announcement might come as soon as tomorrow. This is the guy that the Democrats want to run again, folks just so we understand where everyone is today. Check it out. I think he's a little confused. Your mark is going to be the blue one to the left. How y'all doing? You've got a blue mark, and that's okay. I got, I'll stay in my blue mark. Eight, E-I-G-H percent. Eight percent. Build chips, three nano chips. The three nano chip. Chips that are three nano. First lady. First full-time lady. So Kajan, Kajan, Katanji drowned Jackson. Let's go lick, lick the world. I think he's a little confused. Guys, Biden's cognitive struggle, and the struggle is real, as we see each and every day, is putting American lives in danger. We had to evacuate yet another, yet another U.S. embassy this time in the Sudan. Of course, there are over 16,000, 16,000 Americans stranded in the Sudan. 
that the administration says it has no plans to save. Under Joe Biden and under Democrat rule, you're screwed if you're an American abroad or at home. If you pay your bills on time and have good credit, for example, you get punished. A new rule going into effect on May 1st will make home buyers with good credit scores pay extra fees and extra interest rates in order to subsidize home buyers with bad credit. Think about that for a second, folks. Think of how insane that is. If you don't think the communists have taken over, you haven't been watching. For example, the rule will make borrowers with a credit score over 680, in other words, good credit, pay an extra $480 a year on a mortgage of $400,000. That's an extra $14,000 during a 30-year loan. But if you're a bad credit person, you're going to save those fees. This is like the student loan crisis where they're going to pay the people who are responsible enough to say, you know what? College isn't for me. I'm going to learn a trade. I'm not going to take on debts that I can't pay. I'm not going to choose a major that gives me no chance of ever coming out of that debt. And we're going to reward the people that took the risks, that had the fun, that racked up the debt, that didn't go right to work. This is Joe Biden's America. If you follow the rules and do what you're supposed to do, you actually get punished. That's today's Democrat Party in America. Meanwhile, criminals are coddled, they're protected, they're saved. We're given excuses for them. If you're a law-abiding citizen, if you've worked hard, if you paid your dues, if you paid your rent, if you did things on time, screw you. You get no benefit. We're going to cater to the worst. Last week, two Chicago teens stole a car, hit a family, and killed a sixth month old baby. They got charged with a misdemeanor and released. I mean, you can't make it up anymore, folks. I mean, what the hell does this say to anyone? It's sad that it's going on in America in 2023, but this is the reality that we have to face. Watch this clip from the local news fought to stay alive for three days. He suffered from uh, a fractured skull, which um, caused his brain to swell and bleed eventually, um, causing him to go into a coma and then later passing away. The offending vehicle crashed into a light pole, police later arresting a 14 and 17 year old, both charged with misdemeanors, criminal trespass to a vehicle. The family now in deep pain, working to make funeral arrangements for a kid whose smile and infectious laugh will forever be missed. Your however minutes long joyride ruined our life. Completely. Well, one of those teens, a 17-year-old, not exactly, not exactly an infant, okay? But of course, they can get away with it because Democrats always have their preferred criminals, right? It's not just gang members in Chicago because last night the media decided to defend one insurrectionist, one man who seems to be totally immune to the January 6th prosecutions. They're apparently 100% fine with Ray Epps as 60 Minutes who ran a puff piece, a puff piece on a January 6th person who's been seen on video starting 
and creating a lot of the uproar, who's in text messages with families saying they did these things, but 60 Minutes seems totally fine protecting him. Watch this clip and we'll talk about it a little bit further. Who is Ray Epps? A former member of the Oath Keepers who served in the Marine Corps and was an ardent Trump supporter, or at least he was, until conservative media post-January 6th began insinuating that he was a government plant for the deep state. What exactly was the role of Ray Epps in the chaos of January 6th? No matter how many times they push this conspiracy theory, this lie, it'll never become... Well, guys, as previous guest Darren Beatty laid out, Ray Epps is the only person... We have on video as early as January 5th and January 6th calling to essentially storm the Capitol and even bragged about it in a text message to friends. But the Justice Department isn't interested in prosecuting him. Unlike, unlike, say, a grandmother who was within a thousand miles of Washington, D.C. Unlike a totally peaceful individual who got their door knocked on by the FBI. The one person they're totally okay with call is the guy that was apparently calling to storm the Capitol. Why do you think that is, folks? It seems, it seems pretty odd to me. It seems odd to me, especially as Darren Beatty had mentioned when we spoke to him on this show a few weeks ago, the legal team that's been helping out Ray Epps is like part of the Clinton machine. So partisan hack liberal lawyers are part of the defe team defending this adam kinzinger another person going way out of his way to defend ray epps remember what we learned from revolver news the fbi stealthily removed ray epps from its capital violent most wanted list we learned later again that his lawyer Michael Teeter reportedly works for an organization called Facts First USA, a far-left organization targeting the agenda of the so-called MAGA majority in Congress. Why is he the one person that the radical leftists chose to defend? If he's on video saying what we've all seen, you would think that would make him an insurrectionist, but apparently he's different. The president of Facts First USA is none other than disgraced Democrat and Clinton machine hatchet man David Brock. Huh, a radical right insurrectionist defended by David Brock and the Clinton machine. Hmm, nothing to see here, folks. That in 60 minutes giving him a glowing piece. I wonder what they're doing to the other people who've been sitting in jail, denied due process and basic rights and dignities for the last two years. But they choose to do the puff piece on Ray Epps? Hey, guess what, folks? Say what you want about conspiracy theories, as they've all turned out to be true as of late. But if you still believe that this is total coincidence, you haven't been watching. <laughs> to cap it all off, Teeter used to work for the notorious law firm Perkins Coy, which functions as the legal arm for Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Totally not a Fed. Totally not government-linked, folks. We're supposed to believe that. 
they chose to do some goodwill and help the only conservative they've ever chose to help magically happens to be this guy. The FBI, who will raid and label concerned mothers and parents who go to PTA meetings asking about the indoctrination of their children, domestic terrorists, magically takes that one guy off their list. Please tell me no one, please tell me no one still believes in that much coincidence. The same kid gloves that are being used by the FBI on the trans mass shooter from Nashville, where, of course, it's a little different. Of course, it's a little different. He's trans. Of course, he can do whatever he wants. The same kid gloves are handling that case as handled Ray Epps. According to multiple reports, the FBI will not release the manifesto from the Nashville trans shooter, Audrey Hale. He, him, she, her, whatever the hell it is at this point. If this was a Christian conservative shooter, do you think that we would have uh, maybe seen the manifesto by now? Like within seven seconds? Why is the FBI hiding it? Who are they trying to protect? Honestly, folks, the only logical answer is that in the manifesto, we are seeing something far worse than we could even imagine. And given what he did, or she did, whatever the hell it is, mowing down Christian children in cold blood, you know, if they're not showing us that manifesto, you know it's got to be sicker than we thought. You know it's got to be very bad for the radicalized and violent growing trans movement that we're seeing every day. Because otherwise, folks, we'd have seen it. If he was wearing a MAGA hat, if he was Christian, if he was anything other than a protected class by the Democrats in charge of the media, of big tech, and of our deep state and government, we'd have seen it. But we won't. We need a clean house at the FBI, and that's why we need President Trump back in the White House. The voters are desperate for actual leadership. My father was in Fort Myers over the weekend where he laid out just what's at stake in 2024 as he continues to receive one endorsement after the other. After the reception, he went to a local restaurant where he was greeted like a rock star. Check this out. Back up, please. Please back up. Back up. Guys, the momentum is all on Trump 2024. It's only just building. People see it. They understand what's at stake. They understand, more importantly, what we've lost in the last two years. I think everyone's shocked at just how quickly, just how quickly it can all disappear. And we'll get into that right now when we get to our interview with Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I want to thank our sponsors, but I also want to wish, and I must do this very sincerely and very carefully or I'll be in big trouble later, a happy five-year anniversary today to my fiance, Kimberly. 
Kimberly, this was the five-year anniversary of our first date. A lot has happened since then. Uh, it's just been absolutely amazing. So happy anniversary, Kimberly. Uh, she's going to be mad at me because I think this is going to be a long show. Uh, it's going to run a little late. We got uh, locals later on. Uh, but after that, we will have an incredibly romantic dinner where we can discuss the insanity of politics <laughs> ad nauseum. But one more thing we do have to discuss on Thursday. We have a big and long sit down with your favorite president and my father, Donald Trump. We're going to be talking about uh, his new book, Letters to Trump. We're going to be talking about the hypocrisy of everything that's gone on how his life has changed, that archive of history of the people that used to be so enamored and so in love with him. So that's going to be our guest on Triggered on Thursday. So that's going to be big. It's going to be fun. I'm going to have to get into other stuff other than this, the book, because, you know, we got to go there. But uh, I think it's going to be awesome, and you guys are going to love it. And before we get to Anna, I want to thank our brave and incredible sponsors. First and foremost, I want to introduce to you our newest sponsor, Blackout Coffee. Again, folks, you don't have to choose between what you believe and what you buy. You're probably going to drink coffee, and if you're going to do so, do it and support a brand that aligns with our conservative values. It's American-made, it's family-owned and operated right here in the state of Florida, and they support our values. So from sourcing beans to the roasting process and customer support and shipping Blackout Coffee is never going to compromise on taste or quality, and they'll do it all while supporting freedom-loving values. So go to blackoutcoffee.com slash Don Jr. for 20% off your first order. That's blackoutcoffee.com slash Don Jr. And we'll keep saying it, folks. Support the companies who support you. In doing so, I also want to make sure to take the time to tell you about Gold Co., Gold and silver can protect your retirement savings from inflation and dollar devaluation. You're watching all of it happen before our very eyes, folks, right? You've seen the banks collapse in the last couple of weeks. You see this stupidity, just like idiocy coming out of the Fed and the banking sector. And I want to make sure you're prepared. So owning tangible, physical inflation, hedging gold and silver can help diversify your portfolio and help you get through that next insane cycle. Gold Co. has helped thousands of Americans diversify and protect their retirement savings. So support the companies who support you instead of supporting the woke companies who hate your guts, your freedoms, your liberty, your religion, and everything else that we see out there these days. They're not even pretending anymore. So protect yourself Go to DonJuniorGold.com to learn more. That's D-O-N-J-R-Gold.com. All right. And with that, I want to bring to you uh, my friend, uh, incredible congresswoman out of Florida, Anna Paulina Luna. Anna, welcome. Welcome to Triggered. I know you've been on with Kimberly. Uh, so it's great to have you uh, on this show. How's everything going? It's going well. I actually got a copy of that new book you were talking about early for, uh, earlier from your dad, actually a couple days ago. So we're very excited about it. I hope everyone checks it out. Yeah, I think. Listen, it's a little bit fun. I mean, it, you know, I I started the uh, publishing company with some friends of ours, and you know, so many of you know, people like yourself, uh, you know, some of your colleagues, 
you know, even in the Florida delegation who you know, were writing books and stories, and watching them go to like the liberal publishers, but yeah, you can't say that. You know, mainstream conservative thought just absolutely censored at every level. Uh, and it's so scary. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. But what's going on in the rest of the world? Is that going to continue? Are we going to be able to get over that? You know, I'm a member of House Oversight, and it, I, I mean, I knew it was bad when I was on the outside looking in, and yeah. then I got into office, and I saw really how it, how it functions behind the scenes. And so I think it's incredibly important. Part of the reason why I endorse your dad is because I understand what's on the line for 2024. And first of all, we can't tolerate economically another four years of Joe Biden, right? Like, we're losing our country, and I say that not just— you know, as a member trying to rile up the base to vote, I'm, I'm very serious about that. When I was on a call after the um, San Francisco bank collapse with literally members of Senate and also the House, and then you're hearing them say that and asking whether or not they're going to be censoring the stories on social media, and then you have them say yes, it's pretty alarming. And so ultimately, I think that we will be able to write legislation, but I don't think that we'll be able to pass that legislation until we take back the House and the Senate. And that's exactly why I think myself, as well as many other members of the Florida delegation, are so invested in 2024 and making sure that we have the right candidate. Well, I mean, yeah, talk about, let, obviously, you, you mentioned, obviously, that you're on oversight. And that's a big deal. And I don't think anyone expects, hey, we don't have the Senate and we don't have the White House, right? So I don't know that anyone expects you to, to get through legislation. But you do have the power of the purse. You do have the ability to hold people accountable. And this week, we literally learned that the Biden campaign was working in cahoots with the security state. You know, intel officials that still have security clearances to basically make believe that everything we saw and anyone who, you know, had been watching and watching perhaps as closely as we have, you know, understood was a real risk. And yet they're working tirelessly to make sure that people thought that that was a lie. How do we hold these people accountable? How do we go after them? How do we revoke those security clearances? If they're willing to do that work uh, and electioneering, and you know, if we had a, a let's call it less biased uh, elections committee, uh, they'd be investigating these things. But that's not happening right now. What can you do in oversight? Well, the one thing that we negotiated as a part of the rules package earlier this past year is something called the Holman Rule. And so that's something that allows members of Congress to basically put forward a motion to defund and essentially get rid of a position of any federal appointee. And so I actually just filed it um, for a member of the Air Force that I believe was responsible for leaking military records. But the point is, is in this instance, as Congress, we can do exactly that. And I think that's phase one of accountability. But exactly like you said, I mean, being on oversight, we are going to be conducting a hearing. Uh, Representative Jamie Comer, who's the ranking chairman of that committee, has been doing some incredible things to get actual documentation. Mind you, these are not just news articles. These are not just anonymous sources. This is actual documentation from the Department of the Treasury that actually shows that this administration that the Biden family was receiving money transfers from the Communist Chinese Party. And it's interesting because when Democrats hear this, when regular people who aren't really plugged into politics understand that, 
they actually don't want to vote for someone like that. That's why you're seeing, I believe, the Democrats now trying to rig their own primary, actually preventing um, other Democrat potential candidates from debating Joe Biden, why they said that they're not going to be holding those debates, and exactly why I think you're seeing um, really a shadow campaign being run against President Trump right now to prevent him from being the nominee in 2024. Well, you know, talk a little bit further about that. But I, I mean, I definitely want to get into the details of that. I mean, the fact that they're they're doing that. You'd think if if Don Trump Jr. was taking money from the Chinese and it was Would all clear, I'd be in jail right now. And meanwhile, I'm watching news. You know, Hunter Biden is filing an ethics complaint against, uh, you know, MTG, your colleague, Marjorie Taylor Greene, for like questioning uh, the insanity that we literally all now know to be true. Uh, and yet, again, the media is silent. Big tech has put as big a blackout, essentially, on what would be, you know, major news if it was anyone other than sort of, you know, Democrat royalty or Democrat power. Uh, you know, how do, you know, how do we go further than, than what we've done? Because I think our people want to make sure uh, we have those answers, right? They, they understand you're not going to pass a law because you're not going to get it. It'll get vetoed by Joe Biden. But there does not seem to be really the ability to have those checks and balances, even with what I'd argue would be, you know, the most corrupt family in the history of Washington, D.C., occupying the White House. It's like it's crickets. Exactly. I agree with you. And right now, the one thing that as Congress, we will likely be able to accomplish is something in regard to the debt ceiling. But that's not going to bring accountability mechanisms into everything you're talking about. So the one thing that really sets now apart from even 2020 and previous is that we now have at least full control, or we have an ally at least for free information in Twitter. And that does make a difference because that's the information sharing and that information war that we've for so long been talking about that exists um, within really American politics. And so if we have that, we're at least able to combat the narrative and share that information. For example, had um, the Twitter executives not actively chosen to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story, we know for a fact that many Democrats would not have voted for Joe Biden. Biden in general. And so that makes like 17 percent. So I mean, like yes. election changing. But again, nothing, nothing to be said about election interference, apparently. <laughs> exactly. But that that makes a huge difference. And we also know from what Elon Musk has been doing that he is trying to be transparent. And really, the left has now started to go after him. So one, we know that he might not necessarily be 100 percent politically aligned, but at least that he's an ally for free speech and true media. Right. So that's the first thing. And the second thing would be that moving forward um, as a member of oversight, being able to get that information out there to the American people and then utilizing those platforms, that's half the battle because people are going to be voting. They're going to be largely voting based on their pocketbooks. And when you have this administration saying that there's no such thing as inflation, yet we know that the price of gasoline and eggs have gone up, you know, almost double, triple from what it was when your dad was in office. I think people have common sense and that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. But I mean, it is ha has been incredibly frustrating and it does scare me because what I am seeing, I mean, I went to the Washington DC jail and I met with some of the members um, that are or some of the individuals that are being charged for January 6th. And I'm also being told that they are not being given access to due process. So like, let's say that you don't even agree with what these people did. Well, do you agree that an American citizen should have a right to due process? And these people aren't being given that. And that's 
unconstitutional. And yeah. yet, because of the fact that the justice system is really rigged against conservatives, or at least against people that they, they don't politically agree with, um, that to me is a problem. And so you're seeing now, I think it's Brad going after Representative Jim Jordan, who sits on House Judiciary. You're yeah. seeing Oversight Committee now being targeted by the administration. And it's only going to continue, but we have some great people up there that are at least going to hold the line. And then going into really why I endorse your dad the way that I did, it's pretty bad in Washington. And when the machine hates someone so bad to where they'll try to do anything they can do to keep someone out, you know that they're fighting on behalf of the American people. And I can say someone that has been in politics, not for too long, but has been able to see the inner workings, we need to shine the light on some of the darkness that exists in Washington. I think your dad will do exactly that. Well, I, well, I appreciate that. It means a lot to us, obviously. I think having sort of you know, the young, new voices, the people who are willing to step up as you have to keep fighting, to not just give up. Uh, I, I think that's so huge. I know you guys had a, had a good dinner at Mar-a-Lago last week. I was on the road, so I couldn't make it. How, how'd that go? Any, any good stories out of that one? Yeah, it actually went incredibly good. So earlier that day, I had had a reporter from the New York Times kind of reach out. And there's this anomaly that exists, I think, with the Florida delegation, because so many people are like, well, you know, you have Governor DeSantis. You obviously support him as your governor. But so many of you have decided to endorse President Trump. Why is that? And the one thing that if people are watching to just say, uh, your dad is very personal and he makes that experience to where he actually knows the members directly. Yeah. But more importantly, he's so smart, especially on issues like foreign policy. And so we actually got to talk a lot about what's happening with China and he has a plan. And you know, that, that he can present it in a way to where it's not complicated, you know, thesis talk from someone who studied it at Cambridge University for the last 25 years. It's done in a way where everyday people can understand it. And so what I would say is that your dad is uh, a, a, the people's president. We saw that when he stopped. Um, I think it was in Naples with Representative Donald, yeah. Donald at the pizza shop. But that's exactly what we need. And, you know, moving forward, I think that you'll find that there will be more representatives from the Florida delegation um, supporting your dad because of that reason. And just all I can say is my expertise, the one thing that I have common sense with is being able to understand really what people are frustrated with and what they're talking about on social media. And I yeah. am seeing a massive amount of support for your dad for 2024. No, I'm saying, yeah, I mean, obviously you saw the news today with Tucker, but you had Tucker last week with Trump. He's like, wait, like Trump's the only guy that actually gets it because, you know, not being, you know, beholden to the establishment who seems to be like just gunning for war. I mean, I get, you know, I guess they'll get all rich and it'll be, you know, you know, your kids, not not theirs that'll be serving over, uh, you know, in these foreign battlefields with the world's largest nuclear superpower by, you know, let's call it by quantity of nuclear warheads. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? And, uh, you know, that's an interesting part. But you also mentioned sort of the personal connection. I mean, I know you have a story, uh, obviously lost a, a parent. Uh, and, you know, I had read like Trump was the first guy to reach out to you. I know, you know, Greg Stubbe, who also, you know, endorsed this week, another, you know, had an accident. I mean, talk about that, because I think there is a component that, you know, Trump gets, he's terrible and he's mean and this, but the reality is behind the scenes, and I know this just because he's my dad, uh, I think he doesn't necessarily like to flaunt or show those things. He looks at maybe even as political weakness, but I think that personal connection is something real. And I think when you see him, whether it's you know, at the pizzeria here, whether it was the, you know, the fast food place, uh, you know, outside uh, in Ohio after the train derailment, uh, you know, in, in East Palestine, you see a personal connection that you just, you don't see with a lot of politicians. Yeah, you know, 
to kind of go back on why people have that perception, which is the wrong perception really about President Trump being, you know, this aggressive, mean person is because that's how the media chose to paint him. And every single person that I'm sure at some point has come on the show has been attacked by the media. And there are no rules in regards to slander, us being public figures or elected officials. We can't just sue everyone, especially if they're lying about us. But yeah, going back to that story, um, I lost my dad in a car accident in January of last year. And I probably, I mean, you know what it's like to lose a parent, but it's probably one of the worst yeah. things that you can have happen because you don't get to say goodbye. Yeah. And I got a letter in the mail from your dad within a couple of days of it happening. And to me, you know, uh, obviously at the time I was not in office. And so having that come through just kind of showed that even though I was not an elected official, even though I at this point had only met him a few times that he actually took the time to reach out and say like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry about it. Your dad would be proud. And you're right. That does that humanity does not exist everywhere in Washington, DC. And so I remember things like that and representative Stubbe had a similar story. And so when you can see that, you know, especially in politics, it really will show your character because we're in a yeah. pressure cooker 99% of the time, but that's true character that you can't buy and you can't fake that either. And so I think that that to me has been a personal story. I have that letter to this day and I actually keep all the letters that your dad, your dad sends. So I have my little binder behind me and it's kind of, it'll be an interesting thing to tell my kids one day. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm yes, that, that, that certainly will, especially, uh, you know, after he serves a second term as president. But so you'd mentioned uh, you had recently filed some paperwork, you know, going after someone as, as an Air Force veteran yourself, uh, mm -hmm. an Air Force veteran that leaked some classified information. I assume that's got to be Jack Teixeira. Yeah, so I actually Representative Gates knows about it because I think I'm one of the first people to actually use it since we negotiated in the rules package. But, you know, we knew a couple of weeks ago that the Department of the Air Force had this massive leak that just so happened to target Republican representatives in office and also to Republican I'm shocked to hear this, office. Anna. There's no <laughs> way... There's no yeah, way that this would happen. As someone who did 50 hours of testimony uh, before Russia, 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 I, I'm shocked to believe that this would be a one-sided thing. I, I, I remember very clearly when whistleblowers could do no wrong, Anna. They were, they were the highest form uh, of protected class in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere, probably like the trans community today. They can do whatever they want. They can't be held to task. They can't be questioned. You must just listen to them. But apparently that is no different. I mean, it is apparently something that we're not supposed to be able to have account any accountability over. So myself, as well as uh, Representative Comer and the chairman of House Armed Services, wrote a letter to the Air Force demanding transparency. And of course, the Air Force basically told us to go pound sand. And so I actually ended up suing with Judicial Watch the Air Force to get the record so that I can actually find out who it is. But, you know, in the military, we say that your winnings and your failures are basically owned by your leadership. So if you have the uh, general personnel that's choosing to not accept this accountability and responsibility, well, I'm gonna come after your paycheck. And so I filed for the Holloman rule, I'm gonna bring the uh, the vote for that um, 
basically that pension and and for that pay to the house floor and ultimately as a service member that is accountability that we need mechanism wise in the military and i'm sure that we'll get support because it's not acceptable mind you they released information in regards to health care records social security numbers oh, yeah. and also to in the instance of jennifer ruth green um an instance that she was sexually assaulted and that was used by the left-wing democrat operative against her so we're going to hold them accountable well, you know, that, that whole leak is sort of interesting, right? I, I remember, like, basically, it's a corollary of, like, what Alexander Vindeman had done, but he was hailed a great hero because it was against the Trump administration. It was actually leading us, as far as I'm concerned, towards war with Russia uh, and Ukraine. Uh, I'm not for leaking classified documentation uh, that would put our troops, uh, you know, our covert operatives, uh, in danger, but I'm also not for an America that is, you know, waging an unsanctioned, uh, unapproved by Congress or the American people war against the world's largest superpower uh, with in terms of nuclear arsenal. Uh, talk a little bit more about that, because, you know, obviously this thing's disappeared from the news so quickly, you know, our heads should be spinning. Uh, but, you know, if we're waging a war against Russia, the American people don't know about You haven't voted on it that I'm aware of, have you? No, uh, we haven't. This has been something that myself and Representative Gates have brought up on a, on a number of occasions, as well as other members of Congress that realize that at what point, you know, we're sending tanks, we're sending equipment, we're sending all of this stuff to Ukraine, yet where is the accountability and oversight for where these are actually ending up? And then also, too, um, just from my my knowledge of being a service member and also to, you know, still kind of having friends that are active duty, you know, there are things that happen around the world that the American people are not always aware of. However, and comma, no. the issue that I have currently with this administration is it is exactly as you said, there seems to be a bloodthirst for war. And I believe that's because of the military industrial complex and yeah. that whole position of, you know, uh, basically taking votes on behalf of these defense contractors and the people that are giving massive paychecks to people's or not paychecks, but massive donations to people's elections campaigns. You know, this is ultimately something that's paid for by the American people. And it's really the families that see the long term impact of war. So, you know, I don't think that this individual, um, obviously being, I believe he was maybe 21 years old, yeah. um, he's going to probably go to jail for life because of that. But it really did show the American people that this administration is not being transparent and that ultimately I believe that the funding for Ukraine should probably stop immediately. Well, and that's sort of the great irony of it, right? You know, Vindeman becomes a hero. Nothing happens. He gets booked. Like whatever it is, he He's a hero for doing the same thing. This kid's going away for life, and I'm not saying either of them are right. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm saying that I also look on guys like Edward Snowden, uh, Julian Assange, very differently today than I did six years ago, only because I've been in their crosshairs. Uh, I've seen what they do. I've been, you know, I fly on the wall in the room, and then I see the reporting and the narrative, and I'm like, it has nothing to do with what actually happened. Uh, mm -hmm. And that doesn't seem to matter. You know, six years ago, I would have said, well, Assange was a traitor. He put our people at risk. Same with Snowden. Now I'm saying they're like, I don't know, man, maybe America's not exactly living up to the ideals uh, we pretend to find important. And I think we got we to gotta address that as well, right? Not just the notion that we can sit on this perch uh, and preach to the world while doing the exact opposite. I mean, we seem to be getting caught uh, doing a lot of the things that if any one of our enemies were doing, 
uh, you know, the war uh, hawks in both the Democrat Party, the Republican rhinos, uh, and the military-industrial complex would be running towards regime change and yet another war and yet another front we can't afford to fight. No, you're absolutely correct. And what's even more interesting is there's other world leaders that are starting to take notice of that. You had Mexico literally calling out the United States on corruption within our own government. And because of what's happening currently, I mean, everything that those people that you just named did, they really showed the American people that there's an overreach of the American um, intelligence community onto the American people. And there's a surveillance state that as Congress, we're supposed to do things to protect people's privacy and ensure that your constitutional rights are being respected. But it doesn't seem that that's the case. And we're seeing that becoming more and more prevalent. And so it is scary. Obviously, you know, I'm not a tin hat wearing conspiracy theorist, but I can tell you one thing, Don, I don't keep my camera on my computer uncovered. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's hard, uh, you know, as someone who wasn't either, and I, you know, I believed like, you know, America, they've got to be doing the great things. It's like, ah, well, you know, I, I, <laughs> I'm fighting to make sure that actually ends up happening, uh, but I don't believe it's currently happening. I mean, it, it, could that be in part why you yourself decided to sort of run for Congress? I mean, I know you did some cool stuff. You had a lot of great opportunities. You were going to go to med school, you, and now you got in this mess. And you know, if you were a Democrat. Uh, with your record, with your military service, uh, you'd be given every platform in the world. You'd be hailed. I mean, look at what they did with AOC. I mean, like, you know, the great thought leader of our time, and yet, like, there doesn't seem to be a lot of actual thought. Uh, <laughs> what made you get into this hellhole and, and actually keep fighting? Uh, I That whole saying, quit talking about it, be about it, I really got frustrated looking inward seeing you know how can i make a difference and i realized that because of the world we live in identity politics is constantly being weaponized and used against the american people especially young people and you know i am first and foremost a conservative i'm just i'm packaged a little bit differently and so i can really shatter a lot of those stereotypes and so i had no idea actually how to even get involved or run for office. This was not something that was in my 10 year plan, yep. but ultimately I figured it out. And you know, I wasn't successful the first time and I yep. ultimately figured out what I needed to do different. And then I came back and I won. And I always tell people that, you know, when you have, whether it's a life experience or even running for office and again, why your dad's gonna win, you know, just because you don't, you're not successful one time doesn't mean that you won't be successful again. But I think we all really know what happened in the 2020 election. So that's for Yeah, I mean, you know, it's sort of interesting to see, obviously you got the establishment and you got everyone going after that. But like, you know, having seen it, you know, having been there, having seen the enthusiasm on the ground, like uh, sort of hard to come up with anything else. And yet again, that's the narrative, like everything else. And I imagine sometime down the line, whether it's six months or another two years, uh, you know, eventually the truth will come out, like all the conspiracy theories that have been proven right. You know, but you do see that. You see sort of the irrational decision making by the establishment on both sides. I mean, I'd, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on you know, Fox News firing Tucker Carlson today. I mean, I think, <laughs> you don't know, no, but someone who was willing to take on those things, a, a guy that comes from that world. But it's like, yeah, why? Why are we in Ukraine, like getting in a war with Russia? Like what what's in it for us? I don't understand. And yet. You have the most popular guy on cable news, and it's like, okay, you're fired. I mean, is is that sort of, you know, the the revenge of the establishment coming out and taking out anyone that's a that's a voice? Now, I think he'll do better on his own uh, when you when you don't have sort of the shackles of, you know, Paul Ryan tells you you can't say this on TV. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think he'll actually end up doing a lot better for the cause. But it seems like 
there's sort of a, an aggressive attack on anything that isn't the rubber-stamped points of, frankly, the uni party, right? You could say, find the DNC, generally speaking, in most of media, but, but even on conservative radio, they, they, you just you can't say the things that everyone sort of knows they have to be accurate. Well, two things, you know, first of all, I think it's comical. You see all these like left wing pundits and, you know, uh, representatives turn influencers. Don't have to say their names, but you know who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. They're all taking this like victory lap about Tucker Carlson leaving Fox. But I'm like, you guys are idiots. Tucker Carlson had one of the most successful shows on network television. And also, too, I mean, his ad revenue alone is worth millions. So to think that he's just going to just disappear into the dark is crazy. You know, the second thing would be is that. Um, earlier this past year, when we were in the negotiations for um, our, our rules package for the House of Representatives, I remember specifically being in a room with some very respected colleagues of mine, and they said, whichever way Tucker Carlson goes will be the way that the national narrative goes on this entire thing. And so they were watching Tucker Carlson to see what Tucker Carlson would say. And so that says something, because Tucker Carlson is more yeah. than just a talking head. He is a thought leader, and I think a lot of people will be going with him. So Tucker Carlson is what I consider, um, he's shackle-free, he's going to do what he wants, and so they should be afraid, not taking victory laps. <laughs> no, I, I think in the long term, you're 100% you're right. Because again, he was one of the few people he was willing to take on the Republican establishment, senators and governors. Mm -hmm. But I think he also, with a sort of common sense approach, I, I didn't even look at him as all that political, amazingly enough. I thought he was actually talking about sort of, you know, you know, kitchen table type conversations that matter to the American people that seem to be so overlooked uh, by our politicians in Washington, D.C., who are, you know, they're in their own echo chambers. Whether you're right or left, it almost didn't matter at this point. It's sort of, again, the uni party talking points he seemed to break through with that. And I thought, you know, that actually brought over a lot of independence. It did this. So, you know, beyond the, I don't know what it's going to do to Fox News, you know, the rest of it is kind of scary. But uh, I think he'll come back actually far stronger than ever before. I saw today, actually, just before coming onto the show, that just since the announcement earlier today of Tucker's departure, that they've lost around 930 plus million in some of their ad revenue. So we'll see what happens. But if it's anything like I think it might be, I, I know so many young people, I'm talking yeah. 30 and under, that just watch Fox for Tucker. And, you know, yeah. we need conservative outlets. But, you know, like you were saying earlier, you know, how do we fight against the machine? How do we fight against the big tech stronghold that really exists in American politics? And I think that it's him leaving. I think it's people like Elon Musk really purchasing Twitter. I think it's these alternative outlets like Rumble, like Getter, like True Social. And that really enables a conversation to take place. Because really, if you're looking at it from a social media perspective, if you have Tucker Carlson, let's say he has his, you know, six million followers on mm -hmm. Twitter, if he's getting even 50% engagement, I think that that's more views than a primetime rating on his show on Fox News. And so it's a way that media is kind of evolving and we'll see, yeah. but I definitely think he's not going anywhere anytime soon. So I'm waiting for his next announcement and then I can take our victory lap. <laughs> uh, well, by the way, a hundred percent, you're right. Like that's why I was saying, tell people like, you know, programming, like even like this, I, you know, I got other things. Hey, would you do this or that? I was like, eh, I want to be able to say what I want to say. I want, you know, whether good, bad, or indifferent. I'll get criticized at times as well, and that's fine. But like, you know, I will tell people, you know, like, share, subscribe, pass along, you know, this kind of programming, because like, otherwise, you're just in this like Borg uh, mindset, totally controlled by DC, whether that's right or left, uh, you can see it. And it's so 
stymieing of any actual thought. So when you have a guy that is a thought leader, when you have someone that's not just following the talking points, but actually coming up with new ones, uh, actually breaking from that mindset, it's so important to keep that going if we want to evolve even as a society. So, you know, those alternate forms of media, uh, I, I think, are so critical. Now, in, in other news from the media, apparently Don Lemon was also fired today. And like, I'm going to say this is actually an intelligent move by CNN because, you know, and the person most upset about Tucker Carlson being fired is actually Don Lemon because he understands that he would have been leading the news cycle. And since everything he does is for attention, uh, how long until you think Don Lemon is out there saying that it's racist for Fox News to have fired Tucker Carlson because it took away attention from a gay African-American who would have otherwise been leading the news cycle and now basically no one cares about because of Tucker. Well, my favorite thing was that CNN, I mean, Don, Don went out there and made the pettiest tweet ever, right? He's complaining about how he was blindsided, this, that, and the other after 17 years. And then CNN comms actually went on their Twitter and was like, yeah, he's lying. And I'm going through the subtweets just to kind of read them. And someone's like, well, you paid a lie for 17 years, so why are you surprised? And so I think that, yeah. Yeah, but, like, it's, but that's book. like... But that's the hubris of, like, a guy like Don, you know, he's like, well, what was it the other day? Well, like, I'm African-American, so you have to ask me an opinion to basically have a thought. Like, but, you know, he could do that, knowing the truth, and he would still feel free to say it publicly on Twitter amidst this thing because he understands, I guess, there's no consequence for him to say whatever he wants. It's just different. You wouldn't be held to that same standard. Now, if you were AOC and, you know, a female uh, Democrat, uh military veteran, uh, Hispanic, like you, I mean, you check all these boxes. You can say whatever you want. There doesn't have to be any truth to that. And I think that's the problem with where journalism's gone in general. Like he actually felt like he could say that and like no one's going to say anything to the contrary, even if it's a flagrant lie. Oh, it's a thousand percent. You know, I'm very, very distrusting of journalists and rightfully so. I've had my fair share of hit pieces, uh, one being out of the Washington Post that literally tried to say that I made up my dad's incarceration record until I presented Fox News with that DOJ incarceration report. They still have refused to update and correct the story. But the yeah. point is, is that, yes, there's this double standard that exists and they would like to think that people like myself are, you know, just compulsive liars, but it's when they really, I think, get caught in their own lies and they have egg on their face that it really is truly gratifying. So I welcome people to try to do that. I just use my Twitter and put out the facts, but it's pretty crazy to see that this is journalism in the United States. And then they try to say that, you know, people that are conservative or people on the right are somehow like Russia. Let me tell you, if this was Russia and they were doing that, they would not be doing that anymore. And that's all I'm going to say about that. No, well, that's the, I mean, you know, uh, Stalin uh, would be blushing uh, at some of the propaganda you know, coming out, uh, you know, of of today, you know, the Washington Post, where democracy dies in darkness. It's like, wait, 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 wait. I still have like a couple of, you know, CNN and other, you know, sort of capital offender when it comes to this stuff. I mean, I still had stuff where, you know, I was one of like five big bombshells, you know, in 2017 that proved Russia, Russia, Russia. Now we proved them all to be demonstrably false, but it didn't matter, right? They leave that up. They put a retraction up at Saturday night at 3 a.m. The main tweet still stands, even though they know it's false because you know it's clickbait or or whatever it is. I mean, it's it's actually getting embarrassed, and to the point of you know we preach from this you know high horse about all the things that we are, but we're we're doing it at home, and these are supposed to be you know the bastions of democracy. It's all <laughs> bullshit. 
Well, that's why they don't want us to have social media. So what yeah. I found is that actually, apparently that hit piece gave me street cred. And so as you said, yes, they'll okay. still leave them up. It'll still be updated on our wiki pages that we're all apparently, you know, crazy compulsive liars that are Russia, Russia, Russia. Ultimately, I think people that do have common sense, you know, they understand what it is. And so what I will say is that, you know, having shows like this, even just having Twitter back, which I mean, that's a huge deal, um, yeah. is a, it gives us a voice and a, and a way to combat it. And so we're going to keep doing it. But it's a wild time. And Elon Musk even said that earlier today that we're in a wild time in history to where it seems like every couple months there's this massively historical thing happening. Yeah. And I'd like to just have a year of chill time because it's getting a little overwhelming. <laughs> you know, I, I'd like that too. But when I, you know, I think, you know, apathy has always been our biggest problem. I think we have some of these, you know, these issues that are, you know, literally historic issues. I mean, we're even from the Biden administration, you know, the closest we've been to nuclear war since the Cuban Missile Crisis in the 60s. And it's like, let's double down and let's make it worse and let's fight the proxy war and then let's fight the actual war with troops on the ground. And like, everyone's just taking their partisan side and they're going to defend that at all costs. And I'm like, man, that that's that's truly scary. But, you know, you're, you, you've done a lot to combat a lot of that. Obviously, you were one of the big figures, you know, in, you know, the Kevin McCarthy speaker race. You know, talk about that, but talk about, no, but I think it's important. Like, because I, I think we're actually getting, uh, you know, a lot of results out of the Republican Party, which I don't think we've had in the past. You know, they, they say these things. It's sort of like the old, you know, there's a couple, there's a couple senators, you know, they get on, you know, Fox at, you know, in the evening and they say, this is what we should be doing. But I go, but you're in charge of that committee. Like, you have the authority to actually do that. But they, they sort of play the mind game with the, you know, the news consumer who may not know. They're busy trying to feed their families. They don't know the details. They're saying, we should be doing this. But I go, but you have the authority to do that and you're not. So you're, you, you understand that's where your base wants to be. So, you know, how would you grade sort of uh, the, the House Republicans right now? Uh, how would you grade, you know, Kevin McCarthy, who, you know, you'd been critical of, but I think is probably doing a lot of things that no one thought Kevin McCarthy would be doing. Yeah, in fact, he's doing way better than the last three speakers, that's for sure. Anyone oh, but Nancy Not even Pelosi, close, right? yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's been doing really good. But really, I think um, th those negotiations, the speakers fight, that was actually, at least from my perspective, 100% ideological. And so some of those things that I had listed earlier when we were talking on the show about the Holman rule, um, also to decentralizing power that had really been consolidated too much in the speakership under Nancy Pelosi to the point of where representatives could not do our jobs. We couldn't provide amendments. But then also to, I mean, Part of those negotiations were establishing the church committee, which is looking into the weaponization of the federal government against the American people. Yeah. Um, it's it set really this uh, the precedence for negotiating standards on the debt ceiling, uh, border security bills. There's a lot that we're still seeing play out, and I think that had those discussions, had that um, ar argument not really taken place, we probably wouldn't have as conservative leaning as we have out of um, the speaker and then also to the Republican Party as a whole. And so I'm glad that it happened. And I think that we are a stronger United Republican Party because of it. But I can tell you one thing, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> so we're no, glad that we Yeah, did. no, exactly. Well, listen, I, I had actually, and I knew, but, you know, it sort of becomes a little bit of inside baseball. You know, I had knew, you know, some of the people that, you know, McCarthy was actually bringing on prior to that, like months in advance. Like, I was like, I mean, those guys make me seem like a lib. So I'm like, if that's part of that team, they understand. So I, I actually, you know, and I like to give the benefit of the doubt to be, I was like, I think he'll actually probably surprise a lot of people. But I think 
maybe the process in the end now was actually really important to getting those things going. I mean, I think you see some people, uh, you know, emerging that are turning into sort of uh, rock stars, you know, in the political sense, because they're willing to actually fight those battles that may not have been in the past. And I'd love to get your opinion on, you know, who are the people that have surprised you sort of in this Congress leading the charge that you wouldn't have otherwise have thought about or even probably heard of had it not been for, sort of for that mandate? Um, I'd have to say probably one of the people that um, has really just continues to impress me, not just because I knew him previous to winning my race, but I've actually like as a legislator and then negotiator, Byron Donalds. Byron Donalds has really, really um, impressed me. Dan Bishop, yeah. uh, Representative Chip Roy. These are all people that were very, and like I had not really paid attention to their legislation previously and their negotiating, but I, I can see them behind the scenes and I see how they function in DC. So they've been really impressive, but it was always crazy to me to see that the media was attacking us for having these debates and negotiations on the House floor, but that's what Congress is supposed <laughs> I, to do. I was watching, I was like, like, wait a minute. So you, you're saying it's bad for there to be debate on the floors of Congress. Now, I understand from, like, the mainstream, they want you to, like, Anna Paulina Luno can be the greatest Republican in the world if she rubber stamps the Democrat Party's agenda. Like, I get that, but the fact that they were, like, sort of combating the notion of even having debate uh, just shows you how insane and backwards the world in which we live is right now. I mean, what was that like? It was, I just added, at one point, I told my comms team, I said, we're doing a media blackout. I'm not talking to anyone because I realized I was damned if I didn't, damned if I didn't, because we were yeah. in negotiations. But then also too, I really believe that when you tell someone that you're going to do something, and in this case, I had actually uh, written representative um, now, Speaker McCarthy, a letter back in November talking about everything that I wanted to see change in Congress, um, which was a large part of those negotiations um, in order to receive my vote. And then I figured if I was going to go on the media and just trash them, that's probably not good form. And so I did a media blackout. But, you know, seeing everyone that makes you like the least Washington, D.C. person in the world where you tell everyone what they want to hear. I saw that a lot. I mean, I, I you know, I, hell. Uh, you know, we came from New York City. You know, we knew Andrew Cuomo and had relationships with him. And even during COVID, I mean, some of his friends were very close friends of mine and whatever. I don't have to agree with any of his politics, but like, you know, there was a back channel like, OK, thanks for getting that done. And then the next day, the TV cameras are on and they give you the opportunity to hit. I'm like, but wait, that's like exactly the opposite of what you said to my face, uh, yeah. you know, or on the phone literally yesterday, so that you'd actually be honest and upfront is a uh, very uncharacteristic of DC. And you're going to yeah, have to, you're going to have to learn. That's just, you know, that's, yeah, that's not how to play the game, obviously. Was like, I don't think that they know how to read you. And I was like, what do you mean, Steve? He's like, I just, um, because most people don't do that. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not most people. I don't know. So um, it was interesting. But my favorite part about the whole thing was all, I mean, all like even pop culture was watching what was happening. So you had like the bad lip reading that actually came out and that went pretty viral. And so we're actually working right now to try to get those C-SPAN cameras unstuck from the positions. Cause I think it's important for the American people to actually be able to engage in the process. And then sometimes make fun of politicians and not so, you know, a nasty yeah. way. It's funny, you know, you see us all on the floor. A lot of people were surprised at some of the conversations, you know, you had representative Gosar talking to AOC, Matt Gates was talking to different people. I mean, all of those conversations, those are really negotiations that were taking place at that time. And it was a wild time. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I remember. I, I guess they were giving like Matt Gay, like a hard time for like having a conversation with Ilan Omar. I'm like, the reality is this: we, you may be on opposite political spectrums, but like, you still have to work to get something done. And I think that sort of 
feels like what's missing in, in American politics today. There used to be like, fine, maybe we disagree, but we want what's best for America. Today, I look at a lot of politics, I'm like, I don't know that they actually do. Like it's, you see no. like the Biden administration, you see the stuff that they're putting out, be like, I mean, this seems like it's good for everyone but Americans. Uh, you know, I, I, America I, I, first is, you know, that's racist and misogynist and, and terrible. Uh, what, do you, what have you seen with that? You know, you'd be surprised at the amount of people that are kind of curious and they'll come over and, and I mean, like, I will talk to anyone as long as they're not personally insulting me and attacking me, right? So, like, yeah. that's now increasingly becoming a small number. But, um, you know, for the most part, I've been able to meet, especially other Florida Democrat members, to be able to have conversations. For example, yeah. like, I'm working on something to remove Red 40, which is a food dye from food products. So that's yeah. probably a separate conversation, but it's completely terrible for you. It shouldn't be in our food food in general. But, you know, I'm going to need bipartisan support for that. But, you know, what I yeah. have noticed is it seems, and I think it is kind of an anomaly with social media, that the more, more um, nasty the content is... And if you can attack someone, then they turn around and fundraise with it. And so I have seen multiple people, for example, I was wearing an AR-15 pin, right? Yeah. Um, to be clear, just to provide some context, I'm a vet. My husband was shot in Afghanistan. I survived an armed robbery. There was a gang shooting on my high school campus and someone broke into my home. So like, clearly I have had everything that you don't want to have happen with firearms happen. Uh. And I still support the second amendment, but these people were saying that I was a child killer because I was wearing a pin. Right. And these people sit next to me on committees. So then I'm supposed to sit there and have these conversations. So I paid attention to who was, you know, not a, not drinking the Kool-Aid and then who was actually there to to get stuff done. But you are right. It is interesting, though, because you'll see people having conversations that you would never expect. And then the people that just want attention, you know, like Eric Swalwell will go onto their Twitter and, and shoot off tweets. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, and I think that's so important. It's, it's actually something we're seeing play out a lot for the 2024 run, right? Which is like, hey, guys, like, Twitter isn't real life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if you, if you make all of your decision, your polling based on the echo chamber of Twitter, and even if it's better, and even if, you know, we finally have uh, a, a little bit of a platform there uh, to say, like, what we want to actually say, that doesn't mean that's the reality of the world or the electorate or the American people. And, like... I do feel a lot of politicians sort of confuse that. Eric Swalwell certainly being one of them. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things I saw people, and it's funny, I was up there talking to one of my colleagues, and he goes, you know, once you go back home, because I fly home, whenever I'm not in session, like the minute I'm done voting, my foot leaves the floor, I'm running yeah. to the airport. So like, I don't stay yeah. there as long as I, you know, if I don't have to, I'm not there. But I think a lot of people do stay up there and they live there, and then so they lose touch with their constituents and part of 100%. being a representative is you're supposed to be out in the community. So I make sure that I'm very active. It is like having two full-time jobs, but it's worth it. And I love what yeah. I do, so I can't complain. But yeah, exactly that is that you, you know, here's another thing is a lot of the people that are in office have never, you know, worked normal jobs. You know, a lot of them haven't worked in like the fast food industry or, you know, we need less lawyers, I think, and more people that are business owners or yeah. entrepreneurs in Washington. Well, I think that was part of the attack on Trump, right? Which is like, they don't want to open the door for someone who's actually done this stuff in the real world. Someone who's not from their, you know, circle of friends because there's no access or power there. And I, I, I saw a visceral reaction to that. I think also to your point about like getting out of DC and the point of those who stay around, you know, it's an easy existence in Washington, D.C. to be a Republican uh, that that folds, right? If you're mm -hmm. that guy that stays local, like, you want to be invited to the cool person Christmas party. You want to be... But the only <laughs> way you're going to do that and not have the Washington Post attacking you daily is to, like, give in when it actually matters for your constituency. 
And, you know, that's why I think you're 100% right. People need to spend more time with their actual people, uh, not in D.C., but, you know, hopefully, hopefully you'll be the catalyst for change there, Anna. So I, I really appreciate you coming on here. Thanks for everything that you're doing. Uh, I know we're going on now with Senator Steve Daines, but I definitely want to have you back as some of this stuff, uh, you know, goes through. Uh, I, I want you to keep that fight. And maybe I take the, you know, the Hunter Biden corruption stuff a little bit personally, only because of what they tried to do to me for about five years. So uh, thank you for everything uh, that you're doing uh, in, in all of that. And you're the best, guys. Go check out Anna on social and everywhere else that she is. Uh, she's fighting uh, and she's one of us. So thank you, Anna. You're the best. <laughs> Thanks. Take care. Okay. Okay, guys. Now we're going to go uh, to Steve Daines. Uh, Senator Steve Daines of Montana, a very good friend of mine. Actually, uh, someone who... Uh, someone who... I met sort of organically. We actually sort of met in hunting camp, uh, amazingly enough. And maybe that's uh, why it's great to be a senator from Montana. You're still allowed to do that stuff, although apparently you're not allowed to do it on social media. So with that, I want to bring you my friend, uh, head of the NRSC, or chairman of it, uh, Senator Steve Daines of Montana. How are you, man? Hey, Don. I'm doing great. I, I remember that trip so well when you came out to Montana. And I watched you and D3, your son, oh, yeah. uh, make an amazing shot on a very nice bull elk. And I got to tell you, I blame you for introducing me to long range shooting, by the way. So <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> well, it, it, it's my pleasure. And, and he had a great time. And I, I love, you know, I mean, we've had so many conversations about this. And we got in trouble with uh, the New York Times for we, we did a prairie dog shoot in Montana, <laughs> which is about as common a thing as you can probably do in Montana. And I remember it was you, me, you know, now Governor uh, Greg Gianforte uh, out in Engelmar, like middle of nowhere, Montana, which is truly uh, a remote area. And the New York Times ran the article of, you know, Senator Daines and Don Trump Jr. and Greg Gianforte were out shooting pregnant dogs. And somehow it evolved into lactating pregnant dogs. And I'm like... I get the call from my dad. What are you doing shooting pregnant dogs? I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> they, they couldn't even get the basics right. It shows you how out of touch the you know, highbrow liberal elites are on the left coast and the far uh, east coast as well. But we sure enjoyed having you out there, Don, and reducing our prairie dog population by a significant amount thanks to your help. Well, I, I was happy to help. And, and, you know, one of my one of my great trophies is actually... <laughs> Greg had mounted one of the pregnant uh, dogs, uh, you know, also known as the prairie dog. Uh, and and that, that's sitting proudly in my cabin, even if it created a little bit of a news cycle that we had to combat uh, the insanity of. So, Well, I remember having explained that to the taxidermist. I brought those uh, dead prairie dogs in, Don. He said, you want a what? I said, just trust me. Get these mounted. It's for a great friend named Donald Trump Jr., and the one I've got, Don, back home, it says uh, the Second Amendment is not about hunting. And the paradise holding this little sign up. Yeah, it's amazing. So, you know, Steve, you, I mean, amazing stuff. You're, you're now running, you know, the chairman of the NRSC. You know, talk about the priorities of what you guys are focused on for 2024. I think, you know, the American people see the rapid sort of change in America. They went from even with the pandemic, you know, prosperity and low interest rates and low inflation and high job growth to like exactly the opposite. Uh, and, you know, you obviously 
the Senate these days always has a challenging battle. You're always sort of functioning uh, as a, at a bit of a deficit to sort of the, you know, I don't want to just say George Soros, but the, the dozens of left-wing Democrats that will fund the insanity that is so against, uh, you know, the hardworking men and women of America right now. So talk about what your goals are, what you're trying to do, uh, and, and how we get there. Yeah, well, the stakes couldn't be higher, Don. Uh, we've been given a once-in-a-decade opportunity to move the majority back in Republican control. You, you step back and look at the maps. You know, every two years, a third of the Senate's up for re-election. Yeah. The good news is we we don't have any incumbents who are in danger. That that's a rare thing. Our two toughest states will be Texas and Florida. They'll be Ted Cruz and Rick Scott. Look, those are going to be two good states for us. Those are our toughest states to defend our incumbents. So what it tells us, we've got a great opportunity to go on offense. It's an eight-state strategy. Don, you know, you and I come from the business world. You're still in it. I'm now serving in public service. But you focus. You get results. It's an eight-state strategy. You start with the top three red states. Red states that have Democrat senators up for re-election in 24. And Don, in these three states, it's Montana, it's Ohio, it's West Virginia. In every one of those states, every single statewide elected office holder is now a Republican. The only Democrat left are the three respective senators from each of those states. So this is a significant opportunity to flip three red states bring home three Republican senators. Keep in mind, those three states in a presidential year, President Trump won Montana by 15 to 20 points both times he's run. In the state of Ohio, he's won by six to nine points both times he's run. You look at the state of West Virginia, he's won by 40 points both times he's run. And so we're going to have a tremendous help at the top of the ticket. Yeah. Now you look at only one Democrat left. This is where we pick up the seats. And Don, here's the sobering fact. We have three red states with Democrats up in 2024. Yeah. I peeked over the hill looking at the 26 election cycle and the 28 election cycle. You know how many we have in 26? Zero. Zero. In 28, yeah. zero. We either get the majority back in 24 or we could stay in the minority for the rest of the decade. Yeah, and, and that's really scary. I mean, when, when you think about, you know, the implications of that. How, to and again, this is where obviously we've had this conversation in the Senate. You know, it's you don't you don't have the as many of the sort of rabble rousers that that are actually sort of fighting. How do you make sure you find an actual sort of America first candidate for those seats that it doesn't get sort of picked off by, you know, some you know establishment like a, you, you came from a great business background in tech and like you actually did these things. You've you've signed the front of a paycheck, not just the back. But so many people in politics have it. How do we you know, get involved in some of those primaries to make sure we actually put forth someone who people in the electorate, people in Montana and West Virginia can get excited about, not just someone who, you know, checks the boxes of even, let's call it, you know, the NRSC and some of the more establishment factions in D.C. Yeah, yeah, Don, so, so true. We've got to find candidates that can do two things, win a primary and win a general. The folks will be excited about going to the polls on November 5th, 2024, and voting for these new soon-to-be Republican senators. I, I love senators that have backgrounds in the private sector, senators who've been accountable for results. It, it, they, they bring a different instinct and perspective to Washington, D.C. You know, so often, I heard you your earlier uh, conversation with uh, Representative Luna, you know, D.C. rewards activity, not results. We need yeah. results-driven, results-focused kinds of leaders. 
And that's what we need to do. But you've got to win because winners yeah. make policy, but losers go home. Candidates who can get across the finish line in a primary and a general election. You know, what, what are the top, what are the priorities uh, for you as you know, chairman of the NRSC right now? Uh, obviously, it's winning those seats. But what are the things that you can do that the, you know, the electorate can get behind you and be like, OK, these guys are actually doing something to move that needle. I am going to support those candidates. I am going to believe what they say and that it, they, they're just not sort of uh, you know, swayed by the usual sort of Washington to speak of we're going to tell you all the things you want to do, but we're not going to actually do any of it. Look, there's so much that we can accomplish with Republican majority, Republican president, Republican House. Take, take a look at what we do for the Trump tax cuts. That was the biggest tax cut passed you know, in our nation's history. Part of that expires in 2026. That's dead on arrival unless we have a Republican majority that can extend that Trump tax cut here and make it permanent. Look at the border, completely out of control. It's going to take a Republican Senate, Republican House, Republican president here to bring the border back to where it was when President Trump left office, finish building that wall, put policies in place that disincentivize illegals from coming into our country to stop the scourge of meth and fentanyl into our country and crime. For heaven's sakes, look what's going on with crime. We've got to have law and order candidates here that believe in the rule of law and the enforcement thereof and stand behind the blue. All right, so, you know, again, a lot of your Senate colleagues, though, do they do they understand that because you know it, it's it's a different place than the house it, it, there's longer terms that people tend to get very relaxed i mean if you sort of see you know just the feeling of the people they're always concerned and i, I certainly am as well i mean i'm not saying there's not some great fighters you know yourself close personal friend i love what you're doing uh you know jd vance i think is a great potential for the future but then there's a lot where you're like do, do they get that do they do they have that ability to to speak uh, to that effect and to make sure that people understand that, you know, we don't have the natural boosting of, you know, big tech who will take, you know, Joe Biden and make him seem like he's one of the great orators of all time, a great uh, public servant, not the corrupt uh, dolt that we see on TV every day. We don't have, you know, that benefit. How do we get those guys, you know, on the same page to fight for what their constituency wants? Well, we, we, we've got to bring more of them to the Senate. I'll tell you what, um, Don, is it when you bring more of that DNA into the Senate, it raises the level of the entire body. More fighters back here standing up for what we need to do here for this great country. You know, you, you can you can just start to get atrophied. That's, that's yeah. what happens. People stay there too long. They start to get comfortable. You know, the way that D D.C. operates, you think, well, this is the way it's always got to be. It doesn't. Yeah. You, you have a tremendous amount of influence as a United States senator to drive an agenda forward here. You have a, a national platform here. You can get on any cable TV show you want to talk about what's important for this country and then take that same fight from cable TV back to the floor of the United States Senate. Well, so other, you know, other than the big Senate races, obviously, in 2024, uh, there's a there's another big one. A uh, little bit near and dear and personal to me, uh, but... You have a presidential race in 2024. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, Don, I got to tell you, the best four years I've had in the U.S. Senate is when President Trump was serving the Oval Office. You talk about results. We passed, and he signed a law, the greatest tax cut in American history. We transformed the courts, the Supreme Court, the circuit courts. We passed the greatest conservation win in 50 years, Don, the Great America Outdoors Act. We had a country that was respected and strong. You know, 
Joe Biden has empowered and emboldened our adversaries by his weakness. He just shivers under his desk during the day. And our adversaries now are getting increasingly bolder. And that's very, very dangerous for the world. And he's got one more thing that we got to finish up. And that is let's finish building the wall and let's finish securing our southern border to protect our communities. I'll tell you, Don, meth and fentanyl and the drugs are destroying so many Montana communities. And for these reasons and many others, I'm proud to endorse Donald J. Trump for president of the United States. Well, that's that's absolutely awesome. I mean, uh, I, I appreciate that, you know, but, it, you know, I love that it's not just, you know, our friendship, but the fact that you understand, you know, exactly what he was able to deliver. And, you know, despite sort of the news and what we dealt with, uh, you know, in the news and tech and Russia, Russia, Russia nonsense, that's what's sort of amazing about the whole thing is like, you still look at his accomplishments, but you look at those accomplishments relative to what he was up against. So many people, even on the conservative side, sort of working against him behind the scenes. Obviously, the entire weight, force, and strength of mainstream media and big tech creating a narrative that didn't exist. And yet, the American people still saw safety, prosperity. Uh, we weren't worried about Russia invading allies. We weren't watching about China encroaching on our allies. Uh, we weren't, you know, at, at the point where we we're going to be fighting multiple battles on fronts. We we're actually getting out of uh, the endless wars. Uh, and yet they still tried to vilify him. And I think that's so important, uh, you know, that people actually understand just what's at stake and just how precious it is and how quickly it can disappear. Non-leadership matters, as we've seen the contrast between uh, the Biden administration and what your father accomplished during his four years. Just look what's going on in the world right now. That This president, is, you know, he, he shivered under his desk with that that Chinese spy balloon fiasco. You look at the completely botched Afghanistan withdrawal. You look at what he's been doing here around the world that's got the Chinese, the Russians, the North Koreans, the Iranians here. They're chomping at the bit to take the next step here to do something more aggressive. It's a very dangerous world when you have a vacuum of leadership. And worse than that, you have a weak leader in the United States Oval Office. Well, I mean, I mean, in breaking news today, obviously, or yesterday, you saw, you know, we, we abandoned 16,000 Americans in the Sudan, yet another, I mean, like, they didn't even learn from Afghanistan, which was, uh, you know, not just for, you know, political, I, I'm, as an American, like, one, one of the, if not the perhaps biggest disgrace I'd seen in my lifetime in politics. You know, you leave biometric scanners to the Taliban to make sure that they can find the people who had helped us fight a war against them. Uh, you know, our secretary of state gets up there. We're shocked and dismayed that the Taliban didn't install a more diverse and inclusive government. Like, these aren't serious people. And then you see what happened in the Sudan over the weekend. And it's like, we're doing it again. I, I keep thinking that I'm being punked. What, what, how do we hold the, some accountability? I mean, this is insane. Imagine Trump did that. Imagine Trump abandoned 16,000 Americans again what what the media would be saying, and yet there's almost silence. I mean, I, I feel like I'm the only one perhaps I've seen talking about it today, and it just happened. Look, Don, this just gets back to how important 2024 is. We're on an unsustainable path right now as a country with the Democrats and Joe Biden in charge of the White House, Chuck Schumer in charge of the Senate. Uh, this is a path that is not sustainable. Uh, Don, we're now grandparents of four little ones. Hard to believe it, but we are. You think about their future at the moment. You think about what they're, what this country is going to be like in the next 10 to 20 years. It's so, so important yeah. that we, one, elect 
elect Donald Trump to be president in 2024, and two, make sure that we give him a Republican U.S. Senate, because the very first the very first action of a new president is to move forward with personnel moves. You got to put a, a Secretary of Defense, Secretary of Treasury, yeah. Secretary of State. These key positions for national security as well as economic security. Imagine for a moment, Don, that Chuck Schumer controlled the U.S. Senate. Yeah. Imagine the first call to Chuck Schumer. Because remember, the United States Senate is uniquely in the personnel business. And this is why this is the moment we've got to gain control of the United States Senate and tee up the next four years of our new Republican president. Yeah, and I think you have that in the House, which you, you, you did. I mean, you had Trump in first term in, you know, 17. You know, he has a the Republican Senate, he has a Republican House, but you had Paul Ryan in charge. You had sort of people who weren't willing to fight in leadership. So it's like you had everything you needed to have, but they weren't willing to make the moves that the people wanted, that the people actually elected Donald Trump to do, they actually stymied a lot of that. So I, I, I would imagine there are people that are gun shy. Or what do we have to do to convince the Republican electorate to turn up, to vote? How do we combat, you know, the Democrat ballot harvesting machine where, you know, a, a guy, you know, I don't want to make fun of one of your colleagues, but, you know, John Fetterman is, you know, let, let's call it like six beers short of a six pack. Uh, and yet, he can win magically in the Senate in Pennsylvania. Then he can't complete a sentence. He goes to the hospital for half the time he's been serving. And, you know, and I don't mean to make light of it, but that's what we're up against, that they can get someone who's, in my mind, you know, virtually brain dead based on objective listening, and he can become a United States senator. We're up against a lot. How do we get people to turn up? How do we combat the Democrats and everything that they're doing out there? Yeah, there's two things as we looked at what happened in 22 that you have know, very disappointing election that occurred. Number one, we, as those who believe in center-right America, we have got to turn into election month versus election day voters. Yeah. If the state laws allow ballot harvesting, we should be good ballot harvesters. Now, we can fight all day in terms of changing the laws to to uh, tighten up mail-in ballots and absentee ballots and, and so forth. But if the state has these laws in place, rather than running away from it, when it comes to election day, we better embrace it because they do a great job of banking all those ballots. We as Republicans have got to start lengthening, lengthening that election day to an election month to ensure we get the turnout. Look what happened in a place like Nevada. In this last election, you know, Harry Reid and the Democrats had a huge turnout machine in Las Vegas. That's where their votes are. I was out there campaigning with Adam Laxell two days before the election, and I looked on my weather app. It was Sunday, the election's Tuesday, and there's a winter storm warning for Northern Nevada. That's where all of our people were, Don, up in Reno and so forth. Guess what? That huge storm then shut down a lot of our turnout, and we lost that Senate race by 8,000 votes. That's four votes per precinct. That's why we've got to start turning ballots in sooner in case you have a problem, certainly on election day with weather and other problems. Well, 100%. Like, listen, I, I'd love same-day voting, paper ballots with IDs, but guess what? Like, if you're not in charge, uh, you can't actually make those changes. Even, the, you know, the socialists in Europe are like, really, you don't have those things? They seem so common sense, and of course they are. But the Democrats will fight tooth and nail to do that. But right now, they've actually laid out that battlefield. So we have to play their game, even if we don't want to, even if we have other ideals and we want to change it. We can't change it until we get into power to actually do something about it. 
Do you feel that people within the Republican Party, whether it's, you know, the GOP, uh, whether it's at the RNC, whether it's, you know, from the NRSC, are there people actively starting to do this? Because it's not the kind of thing that you can spool up two weeks before an election. I mean, you actually have to create that operation right now. You know, are you aware of those things actually happening? Who's doing it, leading the charge? Where can people find out about that so they can help, that they can volunteer, that they can actually be a part of that process? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, th there's a program that deals that focuses on the ground game. We just started that effort six months earlier than any National Republican Senatorial Committee in the history of the NRSC. We just began that last week. So we're, we are jumpstarting that program because we need to. We're, we're running behind right now. We've got to catch up. The other part of this, too, Don, that we got kind of tsunami in this last election was in was in fundraising. The Democrats have this, you know, this act blue machine. They outraised us by three to one across many of the key Senate races. So we put together some funds. Uh, there's a site called Senate24.com, Senate24.com. The dollars given to that small dollars, you know what those are used for? That's a candidate fund that we'll give it to as soon as the primary is over. We transfer the dollars. So our primary winners will have a war chest when they go into battle. Remember, they're going to go against John Sester in Montana. That's going to be a two to three hundred million dollar Senate race. Sherrod Brown's race in Ohio, that's going to be a two hundred to three hundred million dollar Senate race. West Virginia, if we can move Joe Manchin out, maybe not run again, maybe we save some money. These are going to be really, really big races, Don. It's going to be all hands on deck. So for perspective, you know, tell, you know, what would have been a Senate race in Montana 10 years ago? What would that have run and cost? Oh, a, you know, a few million dollars, Don. When, yeah. when, I, when I ran, uh, Steve Bullock, and of course you were out there, we had that, yeah. that absolutely epic Halloween night up that in was the Flathead. That was, yeah, that was great. Oh, oh my word. It was, uh, it was one of the, the, the great nights that I'll ever remember here when, um, when you came out. But uh, it, it was a $200 million race, Don, in Montana. That's like having a $4 billion race in Florida when you look on a per capita basis. So I know what it's like to be in the eye of the hurricane. Of course you do. You know, I had that in Montana. I was outspent by $50 million in a state that only has 1.1 million people. And the guy I ran against, our very popular Democrat governor, had never lost. He'd never yeah. lost. And guess what? We woke up the day after the election. We beat him 55-45. It was a big thanks to you who showed up. It was a big night. Well, we, we had a good time with that one. But another one, you know, obviously where we're definitely underperforming is what's going on in, in tech. I know that's, you take that one personally. I know, I mean, just a few short weeks ago, I mean, you were literally censored uh, by Twitter for posting a picture of you, like a hunting picture of you and your incredible wife. Uh, wh what's going on there? What's your agenda to combat this stuff? Because, I mean, it feels like there's that concerted attack on anything good, decent, American, uh, you know, Americana, right? Uh, yeah, well, here, here, they just put up the picture there. Let's see if you can see. Uh, th that was the uh, the warning shot that I got there, where, in fact, you took you posted that, Don, uh, where I posted a picture of my sweet wife, Cindy, we married 37 years. We, we killed a couple of nice antelope in eastern Montana last October using a nice 6.5 PRC with a Hornady, a Hornady 143 grain ELDX. You love the round, so do I. And I made a couple of good shots down these antelope. Put that in my profile picture. It's a very tasteful shot of a really nice antelope, Cindy and myself. Yeah, this is not the bloody it's like pickup truck picture. Like it's a it's a family picture doing like oh, a pretty word. wholesome, no, like traditional American activity. And that was like, so, 
Don, it, it was Christmas card worthy. You know, I mean, it's very family friendly. <laughs> right. and next You're... thing I know, my account was suspended by Twitter. I was in Twitter jail. It was ridiculous. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, thanks to Elon Musk, he called me up and said, he said, I'm going to reinstate your account. But here's what Elon said, which I appreciate. He said, we can't let San Francisco elites dictate their values on the rest of America. I said to Elon, hallelujah. You're exactly right. That's the fight we've got. You talk about the deep swamp in Washington. There's a deep swamp in these tech companies who do everything they can here to censor and suppress the conservative voice. Well, it, it, it's happening everywhere. I mean, I got, God knows I was, you know, I was one of the first, you know, conspiracy theories being like, hey, they're censoring me. I'm like, well, how do you know that? I was like, well, I was getting 10,000 retweets of posts yesterday. Today I'm getting four. They're like, well, 4,000, it could just be the day. I go, no, 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 like four, like single digit four. Uh, things change. I, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've been sort of, a, a, you know, an early adapter to the social platforms. Uh, and I've seen, you know, just how that much they can manipulate that narrative. What can we do to combat that? Obviously, you know, Twitter's come back, you know, at least, you know, notionally in some things, and yet those things seem to still only break one way, uh, right? Yeah. A, a, the most ardent leftist can, can post the most, you know, horrific sort of, uh, let's call it bodily mutilation of a three-year-old who's turning trans, and that's totally acceptable and totally encouraged and promoted. You see the lunacy, the way it's able to just go viral magically, and yet it doesn't happen to our side. You know, something that's totally innocent, that's not really even up for interpretation that way, you know, a senator from the state of Montana can still get censored. You know, how, what would be your plans in the Senate to be able to combat some of that, to create legislation, to at least, to at least have a level playing field? Because I do, you know, I think Elon's doing some incredible things there. I think he's one of the geniuses of our generation. I don't want to do that. But I also think it's just Silicon Valley. I mean, he could want whatever he wants, but they have umpteen thousand employees, even if you fire half of them, guess what? If they're still basically 100% radical leftists, you may have fewer employees, but the ideology is still fixed. Yeah, well, number one, Don, we exposed the absurdity of that, uh, that elite view. And that's what we did when Twitter put me in jail. It gave us a chance to spread that virally. You know, I was all over national news. We were showing that picture of, of uh, Cindy and myself and that antelope. And the, the picture spoke volumes. People looked at it and said, that's absurd, absurd that a tech company would censor that because of that picture. But remember, the, the, these companies have, have certain liability protections because, because they're platforms. Yeah. But wait a minute, when they start censoring the platforms, they now, they now basically become editors. Yeah. And now they've crossed a line. And that's one of the levers we have with federal law in terms of when, you, when they're curating postings and so forth, they're not just a platform allowing anybody to speak either side when they're when they're intentionally censoring the conservative side of the equation. They've crossed the line. There's leverage with us in terms of some of the liability protections these tech companies have. I know that because Greg Gianforte and I used to have a tech company. We were in the middle of all this. Yeah, we no, well, that's why business. I'd love to see you leading this. I'd love you to convince even some of the Republicans who are sort of, well, you know, it's this and they still, you know, they talk big about tech on, you know, on news, but then they accept the $3,500 check and end up doing nothing. I mean, it, it is, uh, you know, a threat. It does only break one way. And, you know, someone like you, you leading that and trying to be a thought leader in it for the Republicans who, you know, tended to be pretty weak on the issue or they're just a little bit out of touch. They're a little older. They're not really on. You know, I know what something's going to do when I hit send, generally speaking. And, you know, let's just say uh, that's changed because they are trying to control a narrative.
Well, you know, Don, I think what helped when uh, Twitter shut my account down, we had the receipts. I think sometimes we'll talk about this, go, that can't really be going on. And then they saw what happened to me. Yeah. They saw me go to Twitter jail. They saw the message. In fact, you, you guys flashed up earlier. You saw the message that we received that, that you you uh, retweeted that, Don, uh, to, to get the word out. Then they realized this is not some kind of conspiracy theory. This is happening to a United States Center from Montana yeah. where they just censored a hunting photo that belongs on a Christmas card. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. I mean, that's why I love that you're fighting that because if they can do it to you, just like if they could do it to my father while he was president of the United States, arguably the most powerful man in the world, or at least that's what we're told, and yet they still had the power, the conviction, the ability to censor them. Like, what, what won't they do? Who won't they censor? Who that don't have a platform like you or friends or the ability to get that message out there, you know, everyone else can just be canceled and they have no soapbox to be able to preach from. So, you know, Senator Danes, thank you so much for what you're doing with that. Thank you for the endorsement of my father. That's, that's incredible. But most importantly, uh, thank you for the friendship. And I look forward, I, I drew uh, Montana General Elk Deer. So uh, we're gonna have to get together again, whether you like it or not, because this year in the off year, at least, uh, I, have a, I have a chance to maybe get a little bit more hunting than I will uh, in 2024. So hopefully we can do that together in Montana again, my friend. Hey, Don, I always look forward to it. We'll get some time away from Twitter and <laughs> yeah. our phones and, and focus on things with horns. That sounds like a great, great weekend. Let's make it happen, man. Thanks so much, Steve. Right. Yeah, take care, Don. Guys, before I lose you, I want to make sure that you guys take this kind of content, like it, share it, download the Rumble app. If you like it, more people are going to see it. If you download the Rumble app, you're going to get messaging on that. You see the attacks on conservatives, the people that you like, that you follow. You see what they will do to silence them and go with the DC talking points. Every day, the news points more towards that. So make sure you do these things, okay? Make sure you like it. Do it right below. If you're watching this, it's a click of a button. It takes one second. Just do it so that other people will see it. That's how algorithms work. They'll put it up there. I also want to make sure you support our sponsors and the people who are willing to go out on a limb to do this. Again, uh, tonight, you know, Blackout Coffee, incredible folks, patriotic Americans. And again, you're going to be drinking coffee. So do it and support a brand that aligns with your conservative values that's American-made, family-owned and operated right here out of Florida. You can do it by going to blackoutcoffee.com slash Don Jr. for 20% off your first order. That's an easy one. Just blackoutcoffee.com slash Don Jr. Uh, and we got to keep doing it. So support them and also go check out the folks at Gold Co., guys. Uh, you've seen what's going on like every day. Decisions, whether we leave you know, 16,000 Americans to Sudan, whether there's banks that are collapsing, uh, whether it's you know, major ones like we saw from Swiss banks or Silicon Valley Bank and the stupidity of the decision-making processes coming from this radical agenda-driven insanity out of the Biden administration. Hedge against the stupidity. Hedge against inflation. Go check out the guys at Gold Co. Go to Don Jr. Gold dot com just to learn more learn how you can protect and hedge against those decisions i don't want you to wake up one day being like man i wish i should have done that we see it happening every day you see the craziness within the stock market you see actual banks collapsing it reminds me of 2008 all over again don't get caught 
in the insanity, go to donjuniorgold.com. Learn how to protect yourself. I also want to thank all of our guests tonight. And for those who are subscribing, uh, I'm going to go do my Ask Me Anything uh, right now over on Locals. So I'll tune in to that. I'll probably go about 15 minutes because after that, Kimberly is going to be on my butt about making sure to get to our five-year anniversary dinner. Uh, so blow her up on social as well. Uh, wish her a happy anniversary so she knows that I actually included her if she's not watching, in which case she'll be in trouble herself. But thanks for everything, guys. Like, subscribe, locals. I'll see you over there in a few minutes. You're the best. And I'll see you on Thursday uh, with none other than your favorite president, Donald J. Trump. Uh, I think you're going to like it. I got to come up with some stuff for him over the next couple of days. That usually gets me in trouble. Maybe we'll have to talk about aliens and other stuff as well. But uh, we'll have some fun uh, with your favorite president, Donald Trump, on Thursday. So make sure uh, to tune in. Make sure to subscribe and make sure to pass it on to your friends. I'll see you then, guys. Have a good one.